At Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've shortened the time from harvest to home for our tasty tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. So no matter how you shop, you have more time with your fresh produce. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now, shop what you love and save $2 on each participating item when you buy three or more with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is Taylor, your host, and this episode is for white people. This is an episode that I hope... As a white listener, you will share with your white friends. I hope that as a white listener, you will open your ears and be prepared to get a little uncomfortable and do so with open arms and jump right in to the uncomfortableness that you are most likely going to feel listening to this episode. We are going to get into several different things in this episode. We are going to have Robin D'Angelo, who is the author of White Fragility that I've shared so many times on Instagram as a resource for you all. We are going to have a conversation with my dear friend, Vanessa Grimaldi, to share a little bit of how we've been navigating these conversations as a white friend and a person of color friend, a woman of color friend. And then we will also briefly here touch on some of the news happening. And that does include this situation with Hannah Brown that has reached Bachelor Nation. And as many of you are Bachelor Nation participants, members, friends, (laughs) fans, um, as many of you follow The Bachelor, uh, this is pretty relevant to the culture right now. Um, so we'll definitely be giving my unfiltered thoughts on this. And I will be honest with you all. A lot of this is emotional for me. A lot of this is triggering for me personally. Um, you know, there have been a few other people in Bachelor Nation speaking out and I echo those things that those people have been saying. And I, I really just hope that all of you white people that are listening do take some steps here after this episode. And also know that you are taking a step by even exposing yourself and listening to this episode. So thank you for being here. Remember that all of this conversation is not an attack on you. So if you can try to put down any defenses that might be up, any defenses that feel like they're coming up around me, even just using the words white people, um, we're going we're gonna to chat with Robin uh, first after I share this Hannah clip and uh, then after Robin, we will talk with Vanessa. So here we go. All right. Here is the actual audio from the Instagram live of Hannah Brown. If you have not heard it yet, here it is. Oh, I'm a cop. Have you ever seen a real nigga rock star? It's no good guitarist. It's throw it. I did. I'm so sorry. That wasn't you. That was um, Brooke. No, I was singing this. I'm so sorry. I was. <laughs> I don't think that you said that. I don't think. I mean, no, there was. Maybe it was Patrick. 
So that was the video. And I'm going to say a few things about this that are frankly just very honest and are not me coming from a place of, you know, being an educator or even a position to teach anything. This is just me personally. Um, and I got to say, it's, it's not surprising at all. I won't be surprised if, you know, next week, in the coming weeks. This is totally dropped. Um, I won't be surprised. Uh, she, as I watch this video, you know, the fact that she skips over the word fuck, but then proceeds to say the N word. Um, and with a slight hesitation, like the slightest of hesitations, um, tells me that she knew she was saying something that she maybe shouldn't be saying, but that it would have been more unladylike, would have been less pageant queeny to have said the word fuck than it was for her to say the N-word. That she felt she had enough power or entitlement to use that word. But that saying the word fuck would have been potentially tainting for her was the impression that I got. Um, when people brought it to her, to her attention and afterwards is kind of smiling and is saying, no, I didn't. I was just singing the song. Well, maybe I said it. And then she also goes on to say, y'all can think whatever you want about whatever I said or didn't say. And in that moment, like in those in that clip when she's actually on her live to me says a whole lot more than her, you know, four sentence, whatever it was, quote unquote, apology. And <laughs> it's what she said in that live after she said the N word is what she's not taking accountability for as well in her apology. And in that she's saying, oh, I was just singing the song, which is what all of a large majority, a loud majority, I'll say a loud majority of her followers are saying to defend her as she attempted to defend herself in that live, um, that it's just a song. And why not, why can't she just say the words in the song? It's innocent and um, very much defending her usage of the word. And I, I don't, I'm not going to echo the things that are in Rachel Lindsay's live, that live. Please take a listen to it. Um, everything that she said, I support and I stand by. And I'm also still disappointed with the lack of people in Bachelor family that have not came forward supporting her because um, with that lack of reinforcement, unfortunately, people feel more apt to, I don't know if apt is the right word here, but they feel more inclined. They feel more empowered to say she's being an angry black woman, to say she's just trying to create drama. Um, the more that people support and echo the statements that Rachel said in her live, uh, the more A, just support that she has in general, which is needed, but also B, the less that I think people feel that they can use those, uh, I'm going to say bullying tactics, really. Um, and I think, especially when we watch that live and her response after it's called to her attention that she used the word, she is then also saying, oh, 
Well, maybe I said it, and I don't think it was in this clip, but um, she had also said, no, we don't use that word. I, I've never called anyone that word, which again is to defend herself, right? That she's scared that people are going to now say she's a racist, which again, as echoed here, something that Robin D'Angelo has also pointed out in her book that we will share is that uh, if you are not being anti-racist, then you're racist. That all white people, as we have been brought up in our society under a system that is based in white supremacy, you are racist. <laughs> and it's not something personal. It's just that those, that's what you've been raised in. It's nothing to take personally, um, but also to just acknowledge that that is the system. And unless you are actively being anti-racist, there's not just you're racist or you're not. Like you need to be being anti-racist. So the fact that, <laughs> you know, she comes to defend herself with just saying, well, I've never called anyone that. Well, that's not really the point. Um, and then to say, well, maybe I said it, <laughs> just acknowledges to me that it is it is something that she has said before, that that was not the first time that she's sang along to a song and said that. Um, and I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast right now can think back to times where you were singing it in a song and used it. But if you were around a black person while that happened, you probably wouldn't have said it. I don't know that she would have still wrapped that along if Matt James was there, who's friends with Tyler Cameron, and they all hang out. I don't know that she would have still continued that on. I really don't. I've never met Hannah. I'm not friends with Hannah. Um, so I have no idea. But my gut here is saying that she probably would not have. And many of you listening probably probably wouldn't if I was in the room with you. Um, and you might not see the harm in using the word, but that's where I really want you to zoom out and really open up your eyes and your ears in listening to this episode. Um, a lot of people have been using this defense that <sighs> if black people don't want white people to use the word, then they shouldn't use it themselves. Why are black people allowed to say this word and white people are not? First, I want to ask you, why do you want to say this word in the first place? Why is this important that you use this word? Have you considered the history of white people's usage of this word? Have you considered the implications and the consequences and the suffering that this word has had on people of color throughout history? Is that what you want to be associated with as a white person? What does it mean for you to think about the fact that there is maybe this one word that you can't use or that you shouldn't use? There's a very common saying that equality only feels like oppression when you've had privilege. And I want to echo here that um, when a white person is called out is, you know, misspoken. <laughs> um, when they have used a term like the N-word and are called to have some kind of accountability, like what we're experiencing here with Hannah Brown, um, that that accountability only feels like attacking, only feels like shaming, only feels 
like canceling when you've had privilege. So I really want you all to think about that. Now, I've been asked a lot of times that what would it actually take for her to apologize? Why is the apology that she gave not enough? What else do you want from her? You're not accepting the apology she gave. Therefore, you're just trying to cancel her. Um, I'm not a part of cancel culture. I don't cancel people. Again, asking someone to be accountable for their words and the impact of their words is not canceling. The canceling is a cop-out. It's an excuse. It's It's a defense to actually having to take any kind of accountability. So this apology that Hannah gave... Six sentences, which again is, doesn't, I'll I'll get to that. (laughs) She says, I owe you all a major apology. There is no excuse and I will not justify what I said. I've read your messages and seen the hurt I have caused. I own it all. I am terribly sorry. And I know that whether in public or private, this language is unacceptable. I promise to do better. Now, for those of you that feel that that was a sincere, full apology, um, I don't think you understand the gravity of it. Um, I don't think you actually understand the impact of white people using the N-word in any capacity. Um, I will echo things that Rachel has also said here where, you know, she said this on an Instagram live, get back on and show your face and actually have a real apology. To me, she's hiding and sitting in a place of privilege, not having to actually face the things that she said out of embarrassment. Meanwhile, black people are killed on a regular basis for just being black, um, which sucks. Um, and I also think in this apology that she didn't actually cover or take accountability for any of the things that she actually said in her Instagram live. She says that she's not going to justify it. Okay. Uh, but she's also saying, I see the hurt I've caused. Okay. Well, what hurt? How do you, how do we actually know that you understand why what you said was wrong? Um, and that she promises to do better. I can't get her. I can't get behind that. How? You haven't. What exactly are you promising by saying you're going to do better? Because we haven't seen anything and said you've hid. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, what Tyler Cameron said, we should lift her up right now. Um, No. I'm sorry, but no. Like, <laughs> like, just, I really can't wrap my head around it. And I'm sorry, y'all. I wish that I was more in like racial educator mode here and could really put this in a nice pretty package for you. But like, absolutely not. I don't think that 
she needs to be lifted up whatsoever. She's been incredibly lifted up. She's been incredibly privileged and incredibly blessed, if you will, for majority of her life. I think it's okay that she struggles with this. Am I saying people need to attack her? No, of course not. That is not my hope. That is not my goal. That is not my mission here. Um, I think taking actual accountability, coming, that was Mingo, shaking off. Hi, Bubba. I need animals around me at all times for pet therapy. Um, But I think that the... (laughs) The I promise to do better, I own it all is, it's empty words that she didn't even speak. She said the N word to sing along to a song that wasn't even playing. (laughs) And then is going to type out this apology and put it on on her story that goes away in 24 hours. So do I really think that she's taking accountability here? Do I really think that she's expressing to her followers who will defend her at any cost? I I don't, I, I just don't buy it. And I don't think, I frankly don't believe that you should just be let off the hook and it just be, well, you didn't mean to. Or, well, you didn't understand. Because guess what? It is 2020. We got podcasts. We got books. We got the internet. (laughs) You can do some fucking research (laughs) to understand why that's not okay. To understand the actual pain that it does cause. And I am going to address this. Her brother has came out. They're not came out, but it it has came out. All these tweets that her brother has said where he is using the N-word left and fucking right. So do I really think that within her family household that there is accountability, that there's understanding of how that word should actually be used by only black people? No, I don't. Even in the IG Live, she says, oh, well, no, it was probably Patrick. Well, really, if that's what you're going to, then how can you sit here and say on your lives, that's the, I've never said that word before. I've never called anyone that. I can't. I really, I can't get behind it. The apology to me feels very, very empty. And I hope that you can understand that. I hope that me explaining this, maybe not in the clearest way possible, but I hope that, I hope that you can start to understand that. Um So now for someone who can explain this in a much clearer way than I currently am, I want to play a short clip, five-minute clip here that I shared on my Instagram story to explain a little bit deeper about why (laughs) words uh, that don't belong to everyone exist um, and why that even is a thing. Um, I received a ton of messages from you all about how helpful this clip was, that you shared it with your parents who struggled to admit that they're wrong and that they were able to get it and that this video, this clip really helped click for a lot of you um, in terms of how to respond to people's defense of, well, if they don't want us to use it, then they shouldn't put it in the song. (laughs) Or why don't we just erase the word from all language and then the problem (laughs) is solved if it's such a bad word. (laughs) I can't. Um, 
So I'm going to play this clip. This is by Tanahashi Coates, and it is on words that don't belong to everyone. Um, this is on a book tour. Um, he's speaking at a high school here. Um, so let's take a listen. Concert with Lil Uzi Vert. He uses the N word profusely, like a ton. And there was an email sent out to students who went to this concert saying, You don't have a right to use this word, which I 100% agree with. Like, I, as a white person, I don't have any right. I haven't, until reparations are paid, until there's some sort of giving back, there's no right. But what do you say to, I don't know what to do when I hear my friends using this word in a song. I don't know what to do when it's just, it's all the time. Mm. Words don't have meaning without context, okay? Um, My wife refers to me as honey. That's accepted and okay between us. If we were walking down the street together and a strange woman referred to me as honey, (laughs) that wouldn't be acceptable. The understanding is I have some sort of relationship with my wife. Hopefully I have no relationship with this strange woman <clears throat> when i was young and i used to go see my family uh, in, in in philadelphia where my dad was from they will all call him billy his name is william paul Coates. um no one in baltimore called him billy and had i referred to my father as billy that probably would have been a problem that's because the relationship between myself and my dad is not the same as the relationship between my dad and his mother and his sisters who he grew up with, right? We we understand that. Um, It's the same thing with words within the African-American community or within any community. Uh, My wife, with her girlfriend, who used the word bitch. I do not join in. I don't, you know, say, hey, I want to... I don't do that. I don't do that. And perhaps more importantly, I don't have a desire to do it. You, you understand? You know, um, a while ago, Dan Savage was going to have this uh, show that he was going to call Hey Faggot. I'm not going to yell faggot at Dan Savage. I'm just not. That's not my relationship with the LGBT community. And, and I understand that. And I'm okay with that. I don't have a desire to, you know, uh, uh, yell out the word, you know, faggot. I just don't have that. Um, the question one must ask, if, if that's accepted and normal for groups of people. We understand that, you know, it's normal actually for groups to use words that are derogatory in an ironic fashion. Why is there so much hand-wringing when black people do it? Um, Black people are basically, you know, however you feel about it, they're not outside of the normal rules and laws for humanity. I had a, you know, a good friend who used to have this um, cabin in upstate New York, which he referred to as the white trash cabin. He was white. I would never refer to that cabin. I would never tell him I'm coming to your white trash cabin. I just wouldn't do that. I, and and I, you know what I mean? I think you understand why I wouldn't do it. The question one must ask is why so many white people have difficulty extending things that are basic laws, you know, of how human beings interact to black people. And I think I know why. Um, When you're white in this country, you're taught that everything belongs to you. You think you have a right to everything. You have a right to go with you. I mean, you're conditioned this way. It's not, you know, because you, you know, your hair is a texture or your skin is light. It's the fact that the laws and the culture tell you this. 
You got a right to go where you want to go, do what you want to do, be however. And people just got to accommodate themselves to you. So here comes this word that, you know, you feel like you invented. And now somebody will tell you how to use the word that you invented. You know, well, why can't I use it? Everyone else gets to use it. You know what? That's racism that I don't get to use it. You know, that's racist against me. You know, I have to inconvenience myself and, and hear this song and I can't sing along? How come I can't sing along? You know what I mean? And I think, you know, uh, uh, for white people, I think the experience of being a hip-hop fan and not being able to use the word nigga is actually very, very insightful. It will give you just a little peek into the world of what it means to be black. Because... <laughs> Because to be black is to walk through the world and watch people doing things that you cannot do, that you can't join in and do, you know? And so I think there's actually a lot to be learned from refraining. All right. Again, that was Ta-Nehisi Coates um, on his book tour for uh, We Were Eight Years in Power um, at, a, at a high school. Um, you can find that video on YouTube if you just search words not, or sorry, words that don't belong to everyone. Um, and I'll link that here in the episode notes as well. So maybe go back, maybe re- re-listen to that clip um, and really let that sink in there. <laughs> um, words being used in an, in an ironic fashion within communities to reclaim power is a normal thing that people do throughout cultures. Um, you know, for white people who feel like they don't understand and they feel like they need to have this understanding as to why black, why it's okay for black people to use it. You don't have to understand why they use it. You're not going to be a part of of why they use it because you don't experience it in the same way that they do. And that's okay. (laughs) And the part for me personally here that I'm going to speak to that feels really frustrating is that in our culture, we love to sexualize, to build up, to take things from, to um, very much hype up certain aspects of black culture, right? Hip hop, take that for an example. (laughs) Um, Yet we don't actually look at and investigate and explore and truly support the black community. All right. I want to introduce our first guest here who I am thrilled to have been able to speak with. Uh, Her name is Robin D'Angelo. She specializes in critical racial and social justice education. Uh, Her area of research is in whiteness studies. That is a real thing that exists. And critical discourse analysis, tracing how whiteness is reproduced in everyday narratives. She received her PhD in multicultural education from the University of Washington in Seattle. She is a Seattle light. 
Seattleite. Don't know why I said that weird. Uh, but she is the author of White Fragility. And I have recommended this book so many times. So, so, so many times. If you have not already purchased the book and read it prior to this episode, you need to do it immediately after you finish this episode. Uh, the link for it is in the episode notes. So it is super easy for you to find. Definitely purchase the book and read it. Robin is a consultant, an educator, and facilitator for over 20 years on the issues of racial and social justice. Uh, She grew up poor and white. And while this is straight from uh, her book, she says, while my class oppression has been relatively visible to me, my race privilege has not. In my efforts to uncover how race has shaped my life, I have gained deeper insight by placing race in the center of my analysis and asking how each of my other group locations have socialized me to collude with racism. In doing so, I have been able to address in greater, deeper, sorry, I've been able to address in greater depth my multiple locations and how they have functioned together to hold racism in place. I now make the distinction that I grew up poor and white for my experience of poverty would have been different had I not been white. I love that she addresses that. Uh, Robin is a white woman, obviously, here um, addressing these issues of race and has been doing phenomenal work in this space. Um, And we're going to have the honor of speaking with her. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Robin. All right. Welcome, Robin, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. This has been, I feel like I've been wanting to chat with you about all these things for so long since I was introduced to your book. Um, So just thank you so much for taking the time to be here and, and to chat with me today. I'm thrilled to be talking to you. Thank you. Yes. Um, And you also live in Seattle, so... (laughs) Same time zone. Yes. Love it. Um, So let's kind of get right in here. Um, This situation happened with Hannah Brown through her Instagram Live, but before we get into that and and your thoughts on that, um, would love to kind of start off with a little bit of a conversation around what it means to be racist. What... Mm -hmm being racist even is. Um, One of the things that you've said in your book, White Fragility, that I often echo to my white friends is the opposite of being racist is not not being racist. It's being anti-racist. So could you just share a little bit about like what it means to be anti-racist? Sure. And let me say that that quote is, uh, comes from Ibram Kindi. So mm. I, I don't want to take credit that isn't mine, uh, but I certainly uh, echo the sentiment. Yes. So let's start with prejudice or you know, mm-hmm. prejudgment, bias. I think most people understand based on the work in implicit bias that we all have biases about other people, other groups or kinds of people as, as we're taught in our society. And mm-hmm. most of it is unconscious. And all of us act on that bias uh, in ways that often we're not aware of. Certainly the people receiving the action uh, tend to be aware mm-hmm. of it, but but we, we can and do, all of us, uh, have bias and discriminate. But racism, in the case of racial bias, occurs when one group's bias is backed with legal authority and institutional control. And then mm-hmm. it is transformed into a far-reaching system it becomes the default for the entire society because it's embedded and fused across the society in policies, practices, even language, in norms, 
in who's represented and who isn't, uh, and all of these ways. And so it really doesn't matter anymore what I, as an individual, want or believe. It doesn't matter how nice I am, how friendly I am. It's mm-hmm. happening 24 Seven three sixty five. Racial inequality is just automatically produced because it's so embedded, mm-hmm. and that's what we call systemic racism. Yeah, and I think probably the most effective way to protect systemic racism is to define it the way we're taught to define it in mainstream culture. So mm-hmm. the average person, certainly the average white person, uh, has been taught that racism is a very simple formula. Yeah. Right? It's, it's an individual's conscious and intentional meanness across race. And, and then let's break that down. By saying that only some individuals are racist and some are not, that allows basically all of us to say, well, not me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right there, I'm going to exempt myself. That it must be conscious is also going to exempt me because I can tell you, Taylor, that I have perpetrated lots of racism across my life. And I don't think any of it was intentional uh, and certainly not conscious. Yeah. So that definition, I think, is the root of virtually all white defensiveness on this Mm -hmm. topic. And I'm just wondering, have you noticed any defensiveness from white people on this topic? Right, because if that's oh, yes. what I think it means to be racist, and you suggest that something I've said or done is racist, I'm going to hear that as you're questioning my very moral character. Mm-hmm. You're saying I'm a bad, mean person. So what happens is that being a nice person and being complicit with racism becomes mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And that all of that just works to hold the system, because that, you know, that's like the background uh, program that's running 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. So much there. My goodness. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, a large part of what you're talking about there is also intention versus impact. Right. And when we uphold this definition of racism, it requires that we don't take any accountability for our our impact. And we're only thinking about our intention. Um, How exactly? I mean, The other part of what you brought up there too um, also makes me think of um, the the concept of uh, of reverse racism in a way because people will say um, all kinds of things. Uh, I did get some comments uh, based on what I had said on Instagram about the Hannah Brown situation and. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are, I'm like, I don't even know where to begin on this. Well, I read some uh, of the comments to prepare for, I, I, I could have, it's like a script, quite yeah. frankly. And this is important for us to notice. It's so patterned and predictable and scripted what's going to be said. Mm-hmm. And that that is a That can help us kind of see the framework we're coming from. What kind of understanding do we have of what it means to be racist, that these, is, mm-hmm. these are the ways that we're responding so yeah. if you want to read some of them, fine. Um, do you want me to speak to reverse racism? <laughs> yeah, a little bit here because uh, there's a slew of, of categories that these comments fall under, right? The the good, bad binary that you're talking about, the intention versus impact. Well, she didn't mean to say it. You know, she's not a bad person, um, but also the reverse racism piece, but then also the the entitlement piece of, well, if black people get to do it, why can't white people do it? And we mm-hmm. should just just completely rid ourselves of the word. So uh, yeah, I guess maybe let's start off with uh, reverse racism because that is something that I get a lot just from even saying the, the phrase white people, 
is yeah. me being racist. <laughs> you know, I'm working on my, my follow-up book to White Fragility, and the opening chapter is why it's okay to generalize about white people. Mm-hmm. Um, so white people, put on your seatbelts. I'm about to say something. There's no such thing as reverse racism. It just simply doesn't exist. Every, I, I'm going to repeat everyone has bias. You have bias towards me and you could have bias towards me just because I'm white. You don't even know me, but just because I'm white, you assume I'm clueless, which actually is a safe assumption (laughs) unless I show you different, but nonetheless, I digress. (laughs) Now that would be bias and it's not fair and it might hurt my feelings, but your group is not in a position to literally enact legislation that can deny my right to vote. So let's use women's suffrage as an example. Suffrage is the right to vote. Prior to women having that right, they could certainly hate men and be prejudiced against men. But could women as a group literally deny all men in the entire society their civil rights? No, they couldn't. Mm -hmm. Could men as a group deny every single woman her civil rights? Yes. Why? Because his bias was backed with legal authority and institutional control. We have to have language that captures the profundity of that difference, or we just trivialize all of that. Mm -hmm. And the ism words are the words we have at the current moment to capture that difference. So I don't use racism to talk about the bias of people of color. Uh, I just say bias. But my bias, I use the term racism to capture the weight of impact behind it. And Mm -hmm. that moves us into uh, intention versus impact, right? Like, I mean, in some ways, I think intentions are functionally irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's great that you didn't mean, you know, that I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm sure you'd prefer to know that I didn't mean to. But the bottom line is I did hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I need to attend to that. That's where I need to put my energy. Not, you know, on, when I insist that I didn't mean to, what I'm really saying is, therefore, it shouldn't count. So what's the most important thing here is my feelings that I didn't mean to. And so you're, you're left not only abandoned in your hurt, but you become the aggressor, mm-hmm. right? And now I'm the victim and you're the aggressor, <laughs> I feel so seen right now. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's literally all the comments on Instagram. All right. I want to take a short break uh, right here just to, you know, this might be a stressful episode for some of you to listen to, um, but want to help potentially relieve some of that stress. Uh, you all know, you've heard me talk about this a lot, how masturbation can help uh, re- release dopamine, right? And help kind of reduce stress when you masturbate and, and you orgasm. Uh, the hormone oxytocin is released, which helps lower cortisol levels and cortisol is the main stress hormone. So therefore, masturbation to orgasm helps reduce stress. Uh, Masturbation is really a practice of self-love here. So um, we may be nearing the end of Masturbation May here, but I want you to know you can continue these practices or start this exploration. Um, And one resource I want to provide you all with here is Plus One. Uh, They break down the barriers and disrupt outdated taboos around self-pleasure with a line of beautiful, affordable, highly effective sexual wellness products. They are on the shelves of Walmart, 
Target, and CVS. Um, their line features multiple designs and styles fit for any need, allowing women, uh, people with vulvas to enjoy themselves however they choose, whenever they choose. And this can also be used for partnered sex as well. Um, but if you're solo like me during <laughs> during all of this, uh, then definitely, you know, for your own, for your own pleasure. Um, they are actually launched now in Canada and Walmart. You can go to www.walmart.ca to find your plus one. And they're also in Target. Um, the already popular air pulsing arouser who I've named Jill is one of my favorites. Uh, but they also have things like uh, lube and toy cleaning wipes and they also have a wand. So definitely be sure to check them out. Practice that self-care. Masturbation is a valid form of self-love. With all of that said, let's take a deep breath and we'll get back to the show. Um, this defensiveness that, that we're talking about is, is a symptom of white fragility. Um, can you talk a little bit about what white fragility is um, and kind of how, how people can, can identify that? Yeah, and I want to back up a little bit and say something mm-hmm. I wanted to say at the very opening. I can't imagine there's a single white person listening right now who doesn't have an opinion on what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Everybody has an opinion. You cannot grow up in this culture and not develop an opinion on racism. But I'm going to say another controversial thing. Uh, that doesn't make it informed. I have an opinion on virtually everything. I have an opinion on The Bachelor and I don't watch it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You know, I have an opinion on, you know, what, you know, doctors should or shouldn't be doing. I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. You, you can, of course, and do develop opinions on topics you're not informed on. And so white people listening, white people commenting, of course you have an opinion. Please, please, please reach for humility and consider that there's something you simply don't understand and hold back that opinion and begin to listen. And in fact, you don't have to ever fully understand it. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if, you are, if you identify as a woman, you probably get that there are certain things that men are simply not going to be able to understand. Um, but you hope they try. You hope that they listen. You recognize that they're not in a position to dismiss your experience out of hand when they yeah. don't know it. And in fact, that, that dynamic has helped me a great deal understand racism. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so white fragility, when I coined that term, the fragility part was meant to capture how little it takes to cause white people to melt down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and as you noted, for many white people, just proceeding as if you could know something about them because they're white, yeah. generalizing about white people will cause a meltdown. They get very upset. But, yeah. But the impact of that meltdown is not fragile at all. It's very powerful Mm -hmm. because it marshals behind it the weight of that history, that power, the lifetime of you as a, as a woman of color being um, invalidated and silenced Mm -hmm. and talked over and having your experiences explained away and minimized. Right. So the impact is really powerful and it functions conscious or not intentionally or not as a kind of policing because I got two questions for you. Um, how do you experience moments almost on a daily basis of white people making racist assumptions, saying and doing things subtly or not that are racially hurtful? Um, do you experience that on a daily basis? Yep. And um, do you tend to 
bring it up and try to talk to us about it? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> and how, how often does that go well for you? Uh, rarely, if rarely. ever. Yeah, okay. Now, why yeah. people listen to that? I've, I, I've asked those questions for 20 years. Mm-hmm. The number one response is never have I experienced, if, if I was a person of color, never have I experienced it going well. Yeah. And the second most common is rarely. Mm-hmm. So most of the time you just don't bother because it tends to get worse, not better. Yeah. That is the power of white fragility. My upset, my hurt feelings, my mm-hmm. umbrage, my, you know, functions almost to punish you for having even tried to talk to me about it. This is the great yes. irony is that I think for the average well-meaning white person, we would never want to say or do anything racist or racially hurtful. Mm-hmm. And yet, how do we respond when you let us know that, hey, I know you didn't mean to, but you just did. Yep. <gasps> how dare you? Yep. Well, that's a pretty tough setup, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And and I've even, I've tried to explain that piece to people sometimes too, of saying, you know, it is emotionally exhausting, the amount of emotional labor that I've tried to put in as a person of color to try to educate white people when they do ask me these questions or when these statements do come up that it's just met with so much defensiveness, so much like then attack on to attacking of, of me that it's like, it's a lot of emotional labor. But then even just the fact that I say this is emotional labor gets attacked <laughs> and then it's like, okay. <laughs> I'm done. So so one of the things that I have tried to echo very strongly, not only with this incident with Hannah Brown, but in general, is that white people are the people that need to be having these conversations. And in discussing how I wanted to cover this episode, a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, you should get other people of color from the show, you know, get other black men and black women on from the show. And I was like, no, because we've already talked about this. We get this. Like, there's not much more that we need to say about this and the people that need to understand and receive this information aren't really going to receive it as well coming from us. So can you talk about just how you've gone about facilitating uh, the, the workshops that you do with White Fragility um, and just kind of being in this space as a white woman having these conversations? Sure. You know, and it isn't that people don't resist my yeah. saying it, but... Mm-hmm. It's so, so vastly different. It doesn't trigger a lifetime of hurt and invalidation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a very liberating premise that we could start with, and which is simply there's no way that I could have been raised in this culture as a white person and not internalized a sense of racial superiority. There's just no way. Uh, it's it's 24-7 everywhere in the culture is the message that white is the ideal. I think that's so hard for people to admit. It's like, very that, hard that to admit. That brings up a lot of guilt. But if we do it, just a little bit of studying to open our eyes to it, it's so loud and so constant. Mm-hmm. And so when you start from that premise, it changes your question from if I'm racist, to which most white people will say no. And now, you know, what further action is required of me if my answer to that question is no, I'm not racist? No further action. Yeah. If we when we understand that it's inevitable, that it wasn't our fault, that we didn't choose it, but we have to take responsibility for, for having been conditioned into that superiority, then our question becomes, how is that manifesting in my life, in my work, in my relationships, in my responses? 
And so that just kind of stops all the defending, deflecting, denying, and it opens up actually an incredible lifelong journey of discovery that is painful at times, but fantastically uh, stimulating. And I have relationships today with people of color that I was never meant to have or would not have if I hadn't done this work. It's, it's actually quite, quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we cannot get there from the current paradigm that says only mean bad people wearing white hoods could ever be racist. Yeah. Um, Ibram Kendi makes another point that I, I find really useful, which is, Virtually any racist act, even the ones that, that defensive white people will acknowledge are racist, the people that have committed them will say they're not racist. So saying I'm not racist actually becomes fairly meaningless. And that leads us to, you know, you're either racist or you're anti-racist, which is actively challenging racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a few other threads that go into white fragility is not just individualism, right? we're taught that we're special and unique and we're different. And so, you know, you can't say anything about me or know anything about me. Mm-hmm. And let me just say that that's true. I don't know all the listeners stories, uh, but by the fact that you're white, we could literally predict whether you and your mother were going to survive your birth. Yeah, That's deep. There is a collective shared experience to being a member of this group called white people that we have to be willing to look at and grapple with. So for me, it just came when I took a job I wasn't qualified for, but thought, oh, I'm Mm -hmm. (laughs) open-minded. This is all about open-mindedness. And so it was for a diversity trainer. Mm-hmm. And there were two parts to that process that actually changed my life. And the first one is, is that we were doing these trainings in the workplace in interracial teams. Mm-hmm. So I was working side by side with people of color. Often they were the only people of color in the room. Yeah. Um, and they were challenging the way I saw the world and my place in it. You know, I, I could be that far in life, college educated, all of that, professional, and never have had my racial worldview challenged. And certainly not by people of color in any sustained way. White people who feel so confident there in their opinions, you must recognize that we can get through graduate school. You can get a PhD in this country without ever discussing racism. You can get a law degree. You can get a teaching certificate. And you have never been taught a thing about racism. So that was part one is building these relationships, being challenged by, by people of color. And then the other part was trying to talk to white people about racism. And the hostility is jaw-dropping. You you read the comments. These are younger people today. This was back in the 90s. It's the same dynamic. But it was so predictable that I eventually, I mean, at first I was like a deer in headlights, but eventually I began to say, so what's happening here? What is the underlying framework of meaning these people are coming from that would cause them to respond this way. Hmm. And this kind of leads to, oh, only mean intentional people can be racist. So, mm-hmm. so that helped me begin to speak back to that in a way that people could hear and understand. And 20 years later, you've got the book, White yes. Fragility. <laughs> yes. And, and since you've uh, wrote the book, I'm, I'm wondering just kind of how that's uh, changed your life at all personally after writing the book and um, if there's things that you would do differently um, with the book now? 
Ah, that's a great question. Um, well, I think I'm hoping that what I would do differently is leading to the book I'm working on right now, which is mm-hmm. called Niceness is Not Courageous. Ooh. How Well-Intended White Progressives Uphold Racism. Yes. <laughs> so this yes. is where I focus in on particular, in particular, white people who really see mm-hmm. themselves as progressive. Uh, and I talk about intersectionality, you know, the, mm-hmm. well, I'm a minority myself. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm spiritual, you know, on the spiritual plane, we're all one. I just take on all those kind of precious narratives that keep white well, for lack of a better word, liberals. I don't mean mm-hmm. this politically, but yeah. uh, from understanding racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. There was a there was a message that I had had from someone specifically asking a question and and starting off with you know I'm a progressive white person. Um, so <laughs> attempting <laughs> attempting to see that now. Um, but I do want to answer a few of these questions specifically okay. related to this. Hannah Brown situation. Uh, but first curious, just kind of from your perception of reading through the comments, what thoughts came up for you and watching the video, what, what your thoughts were? Yeah. I mean, I think I saw a mix. I saw a mix of people who understood what was inherently problematic. And I saw all the classic, uh, forms of defensiveness and denial Mm -hmm. and minimization. Yeah. Um, I think there's some key things that people don't understand that I would love to speak to, which is why, but it's a song on the radio. She was only singing what she heard. Why can't she use that word? And and this is the lack of understanding about mm-hmm. a power, uh, yeah. about history, about uh, impact and what's behind uh, the mm-hmm. use of a word. Uh, there's a video of Rachel, you'll have Lindsay. to read. Yeah. Rachel Lindsay really um, giving an example someone shared with her about when men use the word bitch. There's such a different um, weight behind the use of those words. Mm -hmm. Um, There was her apology, um, which actually, I'm going to be honest, the apology stuff was was cleaner, what I think of as cleaner than what I would expect to see. Because typically Mm -hmm. what you see in an apology is if you felt offended... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my intentions were, she didn't focus on her intentions. Mm-hmm. She didn't say if you felt offended, she, she pretty much owned it. Yeah. Now the missteps as far as I see is, and, uh, people of color, black people in particular, who yeah, that yeah. word is very specific towards are saying, that's not enough. I need this from you. And this is the nature of this work. Then this is what you must give to to them. If if she needs to have that, uh, Rachel needed to have it matched, right? The forum and and the how how the impact of witnessing somebody Mm -hmm. verbally articulate both the word and the apology. And so you just do that. You defer. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually a great interruption to the entitlement and the privilege of being white and not having to be inconvenienced or defer or to give more than you want to give. Sorry, yes. give a little more. You'll be fine. And and you're more likely to repair this. I've had so many people of color say to me, we don't expect you to be free of your racist conditioning. You know, if we were waiting Mm -hmm. around for that, we'd be, you know, waiting a long time and be pretty isolated. 
we're not going to abandon you the first time it surfaces. But what we're looking for is it inevitably will surface. And when it does, where can we go with you? What kind of repair? We're looking for repair. And if we can't get that repair from you, we're not going to trust you and we're not going to have an authentic relationship. So she's got to give a little more. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just echo this. Uh, Her apology said, I owe you all a major apology. There's no excuse and I will not justify what I said. I have read your messages and seen the hurt I have caused. I own it all. I am terribly sorry and know that whether in public or private, this language is unacceptable. I promise to do better. And to me, that last part, I promise to do better feels like, but well, you didn't really do better and you haven't done better yet. And you haven't really fully even acknowledged what it was that you did or that you understand like the gravity of that. Um, So it does feel like a hundred percent the, she hasn't really had to actually have accountability and that just this seems like it's enough um, where frankly, i really don't think it is enough, but um curious if you were if you were on her PR team here, uh <laughs> what what kind of advice you would be giving to her? She needs to do more, you're saying, but what would that look like? First I mean I would I would validate, yeah. I understand there's shame, there's embarrassment, there's yeah. defensiveness. Those are natural feelings, but you must move through them. If you don't move through them, they only function to protect uh, uh, and hold in place your your racism and, mm-hmm. and the act that you did. Um, and so, yes, it's so much easier to, to write something than to have to look a camera in the eye and say it. Mm-hmm. But if you're promising to do better, then at least in the case of Rachel, a Black woman is telling you, here's how you can do better. You need to step up and do it. So mm-hmm. that's what I would advise her. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as we're recording this on Monday, May 25th, there has not been any further word. She's essentially just kind of gone into hiding on social media, um, which from my perspective seems like it is coming from a a place of privilege um, that she doesn't have to uh, discuss these or, you know, acknowledge it any further that she can just kind of hide behind it. But it has led to a lot of conversations, uh, even for me with other white friends, other friends from the franchise, um, and trying to kind of deepen the work around this. Um, So I'm curious, just, you know, from myself, how, how people of color can navigate uh, when white fragility comes up. I mean, I've been saying, other white people, please speak up. Like, (laughs) you need to discuss this. Um, And trying to answer some people's questions about, you know, why it's it's not the rapper's fault for using this word in the song. (laughs) Um, But it can be really difficult for me to try to navigate when white fragility comes up. So what kind of advice would you have for people of color navigating? Well, and let me say that that this is an op, this is, an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you're saying this, this has generated lots of discussion. So while I regret that the, the cost of that opportunity has been oh, yeah. the kind of hurt that got perpetrated, uh, every, you know, this stuff is, you know, this, it's not an aberration in so many ways. It's the norm. Yeah. So here, and it'll come up again and we'll have another opportunity. So yep. it's kind of, what do you do? We're back to, what do you do with those moments? Mm-hmm. 
So this is an opportunity for white people to listen, to learn, to observe, to think, to notice, and to stop with the, here's my opinion, and I disagree. And, here, you know, it, the certitude and the arrogance, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we have the answer and that we can instruct you and that you're wrong on it, all yeah. of that. Um, as far as navigating that, so, you know, this is always slightly uncomfortable because I'm white and I want to I wanna, mm-hmm. uh, practice my own form of humility. Yeah. Uh, but what I would offer you is a couple things. It, that to choose not to take it on is actually an empowered choice. Yeah, that is that is an option, right? You know what? Yeah, uh, I got to get home. I got to take care of my family. I'm not throwing my pearls today. Yeah. I'm not risking. I'm not giving all that energy yeah. and all that work. So rather than see that as oh, you know, I sold out. It's like mm-hmm. you know what? No, I'm not giving this to white people. I, I've given them enough. This, you know. So that's one. I'm not saying. Yeah. No, I, I totally see that. And people actually have like Jasmine, who was also on my season, uh, a black woman has received a lot of hate for not speaking up about it. Like, and sh- people are shaming her as a black person, not speaking up. And for me in my post addressing it, it did feel really empowering because I was like, you know what, this is an opportunity for all the white people here that are progressive progressives and want to be anti-racist to step up because I'm not, I don't need to be doing this. That was yeah, essentially we- my post and it felt very empowering. Well, you're a little damned if you do and damned if you don't. I mean, for, exactly. for this person who's choosing not to, it's kind of like, you know, not today. I, you know, it's not, no, I'm not giving you that. Yeah. So that, that is to look at either one of those as a choice that you're making. And if, because that would feel more empowering than draining. Mm-hmm. Another option is just what you're doing. It's like white folks go talk to your people. You want to yeah. say that you're progressive, then you do it. You speak up. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be dismissed in the same way that I'm going to be dismissed. Right? So when, you know, so much of what I can articulate about the things that I am right now uh, come from years of brilliant mentorship from people of color. Yeah. You all have been saying this for centuries, if mm-hmm. not decades. And there is this difficult tension where white people are less likely to dismiss me as oversensitive or biased or playing the race yeah. card. Or angry. There's a way that I can name it that they can't deny it, right? It's a little bit of that, hey, you know, and I know, we yeah. know, come on, you guys. Yeah. You can't get away with that as well. So the key is to use that. You know, it may not be fair that I've been given a platform and credibility when I say these things that is different than people of color get when they say these things. But mm-hmm. since I have gotten that platform, I need to use it. Yeah. So sometimes I think you can g- gather the white people and say, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything about what just happened in that meeting. You do it mm-hmm. or you take those people aside. Yeah. So those are some things that can help uh, you navigate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, and hopefully sharing this episode will also help navigate it and people can can learn from from all of this. Um, I'm going to wrap up here so I can let you go, but uh, curious if you have any other thoughts or things that you feel like will be important to share with the white, predominantly female listeners um, of the podcast and also fans of The Bachelor. Well, I would highly recommend, of course, my book. Yes, yes. <laughs> but also, I've been recommending it. <laughs> thank you. Layla Saeed has a book called Me and White Supremacy Workbook. It's, it's just really excellent. It's actually um, practices. Like you, each, each section is something that you would do or reflect on. That can really help you unpack this. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say it enough. Be willing to grapple with 
the reality that there's something going on that you don't understand and be open to trying to understand it. And until you get a little further along, um, listen more than you speak. Be curious. You can listen without agreeing. We don't have to agree with them or each other in order to listen and hear one one another. Mm -hmm. I would also... In service of that humility, racism is arguably the most complex, nuanced, politically charged social dilemma of the last several hundred years. You don't know everything you need to know about it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't possibly in your entire lifetime. Yeah. So, so begin to look into it. Begin to uh, study and read and uh, engage with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, this is a, this is a system within our society that hasn't really impacted you. So like, listen to the people that it is impacting greatly. <laughs> um, Ask yourself, and I, I don't know how, how people do, if people identify as feminists or if that's sadly a bad word nowadays, but uh, as a feminist, uh, what I would offer to women is draw from your understanding of sexism. Yeah. Um, ask yourself uh, what you would want from a man who who wasn't understanding why the way that he talked to you or the way that he touched you was disrespectful and hurtful. And then see if that doesn't help you around something you're struggling with around race. So when I can't figure out a piece of feedback, maybe I've been given about my my racism, my unconscious racial socialization, and I feel defensive. I just change the roles in my head and I imagine that a man is saying to me what I'm thinking about saying to that person Mm -hmm. of color. And usually I'm like, ooh, okay, I get it. (laughs) And maybe in closing, racism is not this rare thing that only happens in some moments. It's it's always happening. All of us have absorbed um, the messages. In my case, it's a message of superiority. In your case, the message you've been given is one of inferiority. So the work we have to challenge racism is different, uh, but but we all play a part. And and I would say ultimately, race racism is a white problem. Yeah. We created it, mm-hmm. uh, we wield it, and we ultimately benefit from it, whether we want to or not. There's no neutral place. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. A huge, huge, huge thank you to Robin for taking the time to chat with me. I hope that you're able to take away a lot from that conversation. Go research her, listen to her other interviews, read her book. There's also a workbook that she's created that I have linked in the episode notes as well. Um, Just thank you overall so much, Robin, for the work that you're doing. Um, And I know that we've talked about Hannah, you know, a little bit in the interview too. And again, the this episode is not specifically about Hannah Brown using the N-word, okay? Um, Hannah doing that is simply a vessel at which this issue of racism is being presented to Bachelor Nation, okay? And it is not something new for the people of color in Bachelor Nation. I remember when I first got off the show, I literally got invited into a Facebook group that uh, was titled... Just colored enough to be on The Bachelor. 
So this is not something that is new and it has been particularly disappointing to see other uh, non-people of color in Bachelor family not use their voice. There have certainly been a few and for that, I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, However, there are... So many people, most of the people that watch the show that are predominantly white. Um, So I think using your voice as a white person, especially in a position of power, of having some influence, of having a platform, of being someone on TV, that it is even that much more important for you to speak up. And that is going to transition us here into my conversation with my lovely dear friend, Vanessa Grimaldi, who you all recognize from the show, uh, who has been on the podcast several times. And this conversation with her was recorded very, very late her time. So um, definitely we'll talk through that and you'll understand why. Um, But just hope that it is able to represent a way of having these conversations. And, you know, her and I have definitely had many previous conversations to this one, uh, but did want to make sure that we got in some of our conversation in this episode so that you all could hear from someone in Bachelor Nation who is a white woman who does struggle to have these conversations to some extent, even with a very dear friend, myself, um, who is a person of color. And these conversations can be difficult to navigate, but I don't want you to let that stop you from having them. So with that said, here's my conversation with Vanessa. All right. Welcome, Vanessa, to the show. (laughs) You want to tell me what time it is, your time that we're recording this right now? It is currently 12.56 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm in my bed with my dog. Have my period. period. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I'm wearing a massive pad right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, this is... But we're here. (laughs) We're here. And yeah. Yeah. So we talked about having this conversation all week. Mm-hmm. End of last week, mm-hmm. since all this Hannah shit came up. And we've had many conversations about race, about racism, about the situation with Hannah about things overall in general. You've asked a lot of really great questions about, you know, my experience of things. I feel like I've challenged you in some ways and you've been very open to that. Um, You just did a post on your Instagram today calling white people to action to open their eyes to some of this stuff. Um, So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about all of the stuff that is happening. And again, this is a safe space. I love you. You are my dear friend. <laughs> you partially hate me right now as we're recording this. I mean, as long as my face is not recorded, because I look like a goblin right now, but this is definitely a conversation that we need to have. And like you said, it is something that we've been talking about for a while. It is a subject that, um, I mean, beside the whole Hannah thing and the whole situation that happened with her, it was really what struck a chord in me was what was happening on social media and the responses from people and what I was reading and what I know the comments and messages that Rachel was getting and that she Mm -hmm. was posting. And I'm like, how, 
how can people think this way and how can people act upon this hate that they have in 2020? And I actually just read a, um, a post today and they said that racism has not ended. It's just being recorded now. Well, yes. And also that, I don't know if you've heard this before, but that slavery didn't really end. We mm-hmm. just transitioned it to look a different way. Well, um, I think the new Jim Crow. I think people, as a white person, I think it's easier to, um, because we don't live in Mm -hmm. a black person's shoes. I don't live in a black community. Um, I don't. You don't live in a community where there are black people either. Well, exactly. Um, So I don't go through the everyday life that a black person goes through. And the video that I posted on my Instagram was something that really made me realize like, holy shit, I've never had these conversations about how to act around a police officer. I never had, my parents never had to talk to me about that. Um, And it really just made me realize how I have not chosen the color of my skin. I was born into the, the color of my skin that I'm born into. And so I did not choose to have the privilege that I have, but I do have it. And there was something that you had posted and that really hit me. And I'm like, holy fuck, if this is what Taylor might think of me or any of my ex-boyfriends who aren't white might think of me or any of my other best friends that might think of me. I don't remember the exact quote, but you posted, if your white friends don't, can you actually say it? If your white friends aren't anti-racist, you don't have any white friends. Yeah. Yeah. I had a feeling actually when I posted that, I was like, she going to read this and ask me about this. <laughs> she oh, going to yeah. be like, am I not your friend? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I. But that hit you. That really did hit me. And then I had another conversation with my friend Tanisha tonight. It was a good, like, two-hour mm-hmm. talk about everything that's happening. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm helping out a community in, in Montreal. So in Montreal, there's a predominantly black community called Montreal North. I grew up in St. Leonard, predominantly Italian, but it's my backyard was Montreal North. Where, where I was teaching at in Galileo, that's Montreal North. So a lot of my friends, a lot of my students, a lot of people mm-hmm. who have businesses have um, businesses in Montreal North. And that community is very near to where I grew up. And uh, there's a lot of cases of COVID-19 there. And I was telling her how I'm putting yeah. together masks. Like I got a company in Montreal that's sending hands, sending hand sanitizers and masks. And I'm like, you know, I want to talk about this on social media, but then I also don't want people to think that it's a publicity scent. And then she's like, you know, there's so many celebrities that do that are black allies, but they do it in secret and they shouldn't be doing it in secret. Yeah. And you shouldn't care about the backlash that people might say hey, you're, you know, whatever, because people always have something negative, some bullshit to Mm -hmm. say about an an act of kindness that you're doing, but to do it because you want to raise awareness and that this is a community that needs our help right now. Um, So it's interesting because the conversation that we've had many, many conversations and I'm like, well, what can I do? Yeah, I'm like, I've said all that to you too. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And you also told me like, have the conversations with your friends, see Mm -hmm. what see what needs to get done and, you know, speak up. And that's what she said too. She's like, you know, if ever you see something, like, don't be afraid to speak up. And I've always been someone that does speak up. 
when it came to the Hannah B thing, I'm like, oh, this whole Bachelor franchise yeah. was, it was very um, triggering yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. It um, is. And it still is. Um, but then things that were just happening and, you know, around the world were, it, it's just been, um, it's something that needed to be said on my end. Yeah. And I felt like I definitely needed to do something. Yeah. And I think one of the things that like that I see and that I I mean, I'll double check with you on, but I think there was hesitancy because I think there's fear of saying the wrong thing. And I Mm -hmm. think there's fear of getting attacked regardless of what you say, Mm -hmm. but also knowing that the people who will not like that you are advocating that you are talking about this and Mm -hmm. supporting black people are very loud are very loud and can be very hurtful and wanting to protect yourself from that, which in itself is a privilege that you don't have to put yourself out there to even have those conversations. Um, And I think for me, even before we started recording this, I was just saying to you, you don't have to say the perfect thing. Like it's Mm -hmm. okay to not get it right, but like make the effort, like still put something out there because it's it's worth it like you don't want to be protecting the feelings of the people that are going to be racist and like intentionally like pursue that upholding of white supremacy like don't protect those feelings those aren't the feelings of the people that you actually want to be advocating and and uplifting right so like it's worth taking that risk Mm -hmm. um and I get it that it can feel scary and can put things at risk and all of this. But I mean, again, if you're not being anti-racist, then you are upholding that system. Um, and I think it's on in some ways I've posted this as well on my stories that, you know, I get so many messages that are like, oh, I'm so sorry you have to deal with this. They're like, oh my God, I'm so surprised that this is still happening in 2020 or even mm-hmm. when you say, you know, oh, I was reading these comments and it's so surprising and... For me, it's almost like, well, don't be surprised. Like, how have you gone so long in your life without your eyes being open to this? Like, that shows a certain level of sheltering. That shows a certain level of staying within a white bubble um, that, again, most people don't intentionally step out of. But, I mean, you know, you've had that experience of dating people of color, of having other friends in your life that are people of color. And I think it just goes to show that doing this kind of work and being anti-racist is something super intentional that like you have to really be open and like intentionally do and put yourself out there because otherwise your blinders can still totally be on. Like you can still have black friends and like not have any clue what they deal with on a regular basis of just being black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Preach. No, you're yeah, I was like, right. I was I like, think... I'm about to keep going, but I'm tired. Uh, no, and, no, but you're absolutely right. You know, and I think what really made me realize was, and I keep talking about this, like I advocate for people with special needs all the time, mm-hmm. and I didn't choose to not have a learning difficulty. I did not choose not to be diagnosed with something like that Mm -hmm. was not my decision. And same thing when it comes to the color of my skin. And we had this discussion, you're like, well, if you advocate for people with special needs, and I'm not an expert at that. Yeah, I don't have to be an expert when it comes to knowing the history of like every detail of things, but just knowing that certain things are not right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, because you were feeling like, well, I'm not black, you know, even for having this episode, right? Of like, well, maybe you should have like another person of color from the show. Uh, Well, it's when you had, when you sent me a podcast that Robin D'Angelo was on, I called you and I said, damn, it is so (laughs) powerful that a white woman is talking about this issue. And you're like, yeah, Vanessa. I'm like, now you get it. Now you know why I want you to talk. (laughs) Absolutely. And the thing is like, I do talk about it. I talk about it with you. I talk about it with Josh. I talk about it. I mean, with everyone, my family. I mean, I was the first and I think, yeah, only person that has dated a black person in my family, you know? So Mm -hmm. I opened up that conversation with my family and I introduced them to a different culture. Um, But it wasn't something that you had spoken about publicly. It wasn't something that I'd spoken about publicly. Exactly. And until I did. Until you did today. So thanks. But don't let this be a one-time thing. No. No. (laughs) I hope that the fire is lit in you now. (laughs) Oh, the fire is lit, Taylor. The fire is lit. And yeah, so I was was talking to Josh about this 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 morning and I was crying as I saw... I was reading up on stuff kind of like you. I just took a break from everything. I mean, can we just be honest? Taylor muted my stories because at one point, <laughs> since we're talking about honesty, Taylor muted my I stories and she, was, and she was honest with me about it. And I wasn't upset. Josh was like, are you upset? I was like, no, nah, I get it. Like it's too, it was too much information for her to internalize. Yeah. It and was a lot of the COVID was- stuff. It was like when everything was coming out like every other day and you were posting a lot about it. And I was like, I can't. Right. And I had a point to this conversation, but anyway, it's one o'clock in the morning. I don't remember what I was saying, <laughs> but basically, um, you've been watching things in the news, which is something I did oh, want to yes. touch on this episode. So continue. Yes, exactly. So I was, um, I started reading up on, on um, the stuff, which by the way, was so, I, I was so confused because I kept going back and forth. I'm like, did I read that right? Mr. Cooper. And then Mrs. Cooper, they share the same last name. Did you know that? Oh, Christian I didn't notice Cooper? that. Yeah. The woman from New York City. Oh, yeah, Amy Cooper, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Christian Cooper. So I was reading up on everything, and then I stumbled upon this video that I posted, and um, I'm like, I, I just... And I told you, I said, non-bachelor-related stuff, I'm going to talk about it when I... Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I did. Um, and Josh was like, okay, well, what, what do you feel like you need to do? You know. And then I started messaging my friends in Montreal, and um, now Tanisha's going to come and help donate... Uh, sorry distribute the masks and the hand sanitizers and Montreal mm-hmm. North community. Um, yeah. And I really just want to encourage people to just help each other. Cause as much as there is, we're very diverse in Montreal, we're very segregated. Like the Greeks hang out with the Greeks, the Italians hang out with yeah. the Italians, you know, and now we're all experiencing something that we've never experienced before. And we all need the same thing. We all need to be healthy. So uh, let's yeah. help out the communities that need it most. So what were your thoughts when you watched the Central Park video? Oh, oh, God. Um, the, it, <laughs> great actress. Great actress. Uh, think, it was. You know, the, the voice trembling and... Um, yeah, it was uh, something all right. Yeah, I was... For, like, if it was a white man, would she say, there's a white man, uh, you know, videotaping no. me? I don't think she would be saying there's a white man. So uh, that really, I think, I'm happy that he recorded it. Yeah, and, and think uh, of all the times that 
white women especially have called the cops on black men for situations similar who really weren't doing anything wrong but played that up yeah all with like very clear understanding like she knew exactly what she was doing and the risk that she was putting him at by playing that up and Mm -hmm. i hope that that is a wake-up call for people as to why when people of color when people who are practicing being allies speak up and say white people you need to talk to your people this is exactly what we're talking about people like amy cooper like that she i don't even remember what she did as a job but like that could have been someone's teacher that could have been someone's nurse right like we could have been someone's doctor could have been whatever right she is someone who was like an active member of her community and that's how she acts and like she's got other white people in her life that can hold her accountable and that can be like um hold on a second (laughs) Mm -hmm. like let's let's have a conversation about this um because made me it made me think of a, a movie that came out years ago. I'm trying to think of what the title was, but basically there's a white cop and the, every character is kind of interrelated. Their stories kind of mix and there's a white cop and this black driver gets stopped and he reaches into his pocket and I think he's going to get, and I don't want to mess this up, but I think he's going to get like, um, the Virgin Mary, like a statue of the Virgin Mary or something. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's what he had in his pocket. And the cop thought he was going to get a gun. Yeah. And he shot and killed the driver. And that's what it made me think of. Cause you thought you're, mm-hmm. you have all this prejudice, right? And this, this, yeah, this stuff that, yeah, yeah. that. But see, true. but see, the, the thing that really gets to me here with this Amy Cooper, Christian Cooper situation she didn't really feel like she was in harm Mm -hmm. at all. She knew that that man was not anywhere near going to attack her or hurt her in any way. But she knew that if she played that up to the cops, that he would get harmed and she would be protected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Incredibly disappointing. Not at all surprising for majority people of color. Um, There was another video. I'm not sure if you saw this one. Um, This was in Minneapolis. And there were two videos in Minneapolis. Uh, This one is similar to the Central Park one. Um, Two black men were working out in a gym in a WeWork. uh, And this white man... I only saw parts of it. ...was questioning them and... You know, you need a key card to get into this building. And they're like, we have an office here. Like, why are you why are you asking? Like, who are you to ask us for for proof of identification and for a key card and mm-hmm. just basically being harassed and told that they don't belong there? And then the guy says he's going to call nine one one and basically goes on to say that you know there's these uh, two black men here that don't seem like they belong here, don't appear mm-hmm. to be members here, mm-hmm. and it just it's like, I'm so glad that we do have technology to show us these things, right? Um, mm-hmm. To have proof of them. To hopefully, you know, let people actually believe black people when they say these things. And to understand that it's not just them exaggerating them or things being taken out of context. Mm-hmm. But like, 
they literally were doing nothing wrong, but the color of their skin yeah. made that man feel as though he's better than them and they wouldn't belong in an office space like this, in a gym like this. So I'm going to use my power now and get them out of here. Mm-hmm. There was this video that I saw um, years ago and it was done, I think it was like an, a, a teacher doing a social experiment on her kindergarten students, all white. And yeah. she was trying to teach them. Do you know who it is? Uh, I don't know who it is, but I think I know what video you're referencing. Yeah, so there's, uh, they're all kindergarten students. And she said, well, we're going to uh, do really fun activities today and, you know, like really hyping up the day. But she said, it's only going to be for kids with blue eyes. Yeah. And the kids with blue eyes went outside. They had cotton candy. I'm playing it up. I don't remember the exact storyline, but they had like Mm -hmm. cotton candy. They, um, you know, they were playing outside. They had recess while the kids with the brown eyes had to stay indoors and they, they didn't have access to the fun that the kids with the blue eyes had. Yep. And now is teaching kids as young as four and five-year-olds about what racism is and what it's like to be treated differently. Yeah. And I remember that's a video that um, I think should be replayed in, in, in schools and teachers can teach their students about what it's like to be segregated and what it's like to, um, you know, to experience that. Yeah. What's the last kind of thing here that is in the news cycle this week that has just been weighing super heavy on me um, and that hopefully is not something that goes away um, within the news cycle, but uh, is the case of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. Have you watched this? Yes, I did. And that's when I, uh, that's when I got real upset. Did you watch the entire thing? Yep. Yeah. Um, first of all, I will warn anyone that's listening that you don't need to watch the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty fucking traumatic. And I literally felt like I was going to throw up. Yeah. Um, and was just like shaking and crying. Um, you literally watch a man get murdered. So it's not something that you need to watch. Um, It can definitely be traumatizing to watch. And I think right now the mayor is calling for the officer to be charged with murder, which is the first. Were there three officers? Yeah. Like two standing by. Yeah. So this is the first situation like this where a mayor is actually calling for an officer involved in a situation like this to be uh, charged with anything. But I completely agree that the other officers that were present should also be charged. Mm-hmm. Um, it To me, I know people go to the, oh, well, he was resisting arrest oh, well, wasn't he doing this? Wasn't he doing that? He shouldn't have been doing this. He shouldn't have been doing that. And all of that, I think, is to try to make sense as to why this sort of force 
would be necessary, mm-hmm. right? Because it it is so much easier to think, oh, well, he was probably a thug. He was mm-hmm. probably selling drugs, right? Mm-hmm. He was probably doing some, you know, hood rat shit. And so he deserved it. So I can make sense of that behavior rather than sitting with the fact that this senseless fucking violence, that an unnecessary murder would take place simply because of the yeah. color of his skin. Mm-hmm. That's much easier to sit with that other version than it is the reality of it. But also know that even if he was selling dope, even if he had actually committed a crime, he did not even commit a crime. Yeah. If he had actually committed a crime, that still, is, exactly. still does no. not deserve that at all. So any line of questioning of trying to pin a person of color as a criminal to make sense and say, oh, well, it's not that bad that the cop did that is complete bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's complete bullshit. Um, this man was not resisting arrest. He, they, the people at the grocery store suspected that he had written a bad check. <laughs> Tell me a fucking white person that has been (laughs) that has been arrested for suspected bad check writing it's like what like i know the the whole i think like you said everything sounds so ridiculous that you kind of feel like you have to put the puzzle pieces together because it doesn't make sense that it got to the point that it got to Um, Yeah. And this is where I want people to zoom out and understand that this is where the system is at play. mm -hmm. Like this is where the fact that our entire system is based in white supremacy comes to light because that is only irrational part of all of this. Like that is where that comes through. And for me, it's just like, it's so exhausting and it's so heartbreaking and it's like, I just, I, I don't even know where to begin, honestly, because you think about it as if like you were there, right? And like, what could you have even done? Like I, as I watch that, I'm like, Oh my God, this officer is literally has his knee pinned down on this man's neck. He's repeatedly saying he cannot breathe. Mm -hmm. There are people yelling to like, can you check his pulse? Like he's now stopped talking. He has now stopped trying to move, trying to do anything. Like, can you please check him? And to me, it's just, there's zero regard for human life. Zero regard for that human's life. As a black man, he has been completely dehumanized and is just a criminal. The one, the Asian officer who's like standing by Mm -hmm. keeps saying like, this is why you don't do drugs or like don't get into drugs. And I'm like, Mm. what the fuck are you saying? And it just, yeah. One of the officers was just like, well, this is why you don't do drugs or like, this is why you stay away from drugs. (laughs) And if anything, if a person is on drugs, that person needs help, A. And second of all, this man literally, his pulse was checked and he was dead. Yet this officer did not 
even remove his knee from his neck. He remained on top of him after he had literally murdered him. Yeah. I think um, when you said you don't need to watch the video, but I think people do. I think people need to see how things like this continue to happen and the stories that we do know of, we just only know about them because they have been recorded and they have been, you know, talked about and they're part of headlines, but there's so many other stories that we don't know about. Um, And I mean, I hear you on that. I think, I don't think it's something that people of color need to watch. Oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about people. I, you know, I'm still thinking of the video that I posted and how that mm-hmm. is a subject. Police brutality is a subject that I never had to talk about. This is something that I never had to witness. Yeah. Um, and so I think by watching something like that, it really does something to you. It makes you, it, it's, it does something to you. And uh, it makes you realize how, much of a voice you do have as a white person, how much change needs to get done. And even if you feel like you don't have the followers that we might have, you have a voice, you matter, and you have an influence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just, uh, I mean, it literally takes me back to like being in middle school learning the shittiest version of uh, black history Um, and just hearing the stories that happened during the times of slavery and even afterwards. And it literally feels like I'm living in a nightmare. Mm -hmm. It literally feels like I'm living in a part of history that I will look back when I'm a grandma one day and my granddaughter will be in high school writing a paper on some fucking, I don't even know, and have to come to me and be like, my mom, what was it like? Like when, mm-hmm. you know, Black, Live, Black Lives Matter movement started and when the COVID pandemic happened and like what was going on? Like, and I think about that and I'm like, wow, this is all going to be so significant to our history. And our history really hasn't even changed that much. I'm mm-hmm. not a history buff. I really don't know a ton on it. But this doesn't feel very different from shit that we heard about in history class. It has a different uniform. Mm-hmm. It's presenting itself in a slightly different way. We got prisons now. <laughs> we got mass incarceration. <laughs> We got police brutality. We still have black men being murdered for no reason. Like there's so many conversations that need to be had. And I hope that this whole episode sparks some conversations. I do hope that the Hannah Brown situation sparks a lot of conversations. And I hope that white people are opening their ears and their eyes to the lives of people of color. So, yeah. What do you want to say to white people? What's your... <laughs> What I want to say to white people is go talk yeah. to your white people. Go mm-hmm. talk to your other white friends. If you have friends that are people of color, listen to them. Like, 
if they tell you something about their experience as a person of color, mm-hmm. you better, I'm sorry, shut the fuck up and listen. Mm-hmm. And, but also ask, right? Cause I'm some, I, I ask questions that may, I mean, I ask you questions. I'm like, oh, I don't know if like, I don't know enough about this or I don't know if about that. Mm-hmm. It's important to also ask the question because you, how can but I, what do I say? But what do I say when you do ask me a question? Go read up on it. <laughs> and I'm like, I love yeah. reading. <laughs> I say, I say, no, this is your work. You got to go do this yeah. work. And I hope too that also, I mean, I might've had a little bit of like, I don't even want to say oversharing, but I definitely shared a vulnerable moment this week on Instagram, like, excuse me, with all of this stuff coming up <laughs> and I'm leaving the burp in. Sorry. Yeah, that was like the Kermit burp. That's a traditional, yeah, that's her signature burp, the Kermit burp. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I hope that like white people listening and following all of this stuff in the news. And I hope that people of color sharing their actual pain in this, mm-hmm. like, I hope that me being really authentic and actually sharing that vulnerable moment after I had watched the George Floyd video actually sinks in and you're like, I I am starting to get this and this has got to be exhausting for people of color. Mm -hmm. So I am going to go do my own work now because I can imagine having to carry that, that emotion Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis on Mm -hmm. an interaction to interaction basis. Mm -hmm. Like there are certain spaces that I legit don't feel safe in. Yeah. There are places of this country that I don't feel safe going to that I intentionally avoid. Mm Mm-hmm. But when I meant by asking questions, when I was on the, my call with Tanisha, I asked her, what, what else can I do? You know, I posted about this. I'm, you know, like, what else can I do? Um, and I asked you the same question too. And, mm-hmm. and you did give me great suggestions. Um, and I'm working with the Montreal North community and I want to do right by them. And, and, you know, I'm working with them to figure out like, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to end off with this. I was afraid to have this conversation because of the Hannah Brown situation. I was afraid to just like dig into like bachelor, bachelor bachelor conversation. Yeah. Um, After having posted what I posted, I wanted to have the conversation with you. I called you, you were in the middle of recording and I jumped on and I'm happy that I did because Every person that stands up, every per, every white person that uses their voice to end this, and to become anti-racist, to help to other practice, white people understand to what being it an is. Ally. Exactly to be an ally is like one person helps another, helps another, helps another. So it's just it's a domino effect, and we need to do our part. So I'm ending it off on that. Um, because it's one thirty in the morning. Your brain is turning into and mush. I can't. I can't put <laughs> the sentences together right now. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you came on. I'm glad that you came on as well, and I also hope that this serves as an example that these conversations don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't expect you to come to the table with 
like just the wokest shit ever. Like it's never been a part of your experience. You have to unlearn a lot of things. You have to learn a lot of new things and that's going to take time. So like, I don't think any person of color is expecting for people to just bloop, switch yeah. is flipped and white people totally get it now. And we're fully anti-racist and breaking down the system. Like, no, it's going to take time, but like, I think just being open to these conversations and, you know, giving yourself grace to even have them in the first place is super important. So yeah. And I'm not coming on here to say that I am perfect and I haven't figured it out and that, you know, I, I'm, I want to get there. I want to get to the point where, um, I can help out more than I am doing right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've been friends with Tanisha for how long? And is this the first conversation you've had with her about her race? We've been friends for how long? Uh, four years? No. (laughs) I think it's four. (laughs) It's been so long. Well, not so long, but so long since, (laughs) since that uh, part of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say this is like the first real time that we're having conversations about race, really. Yeah. It's came up. Listen, I've, I've dated people who are not white and, uh, I've had many of these conversations um with them uh and a lot of you know some of them were not fully white and uh not fully yeah not fully white and did experience a lot of hate because of the color of their skin and you know something that you have gone through and if you watch the bachelor and you watched hurt taylor's intro package you talked about how you never really felt like you fit in and it's you why are you laughing about this (laughs) I'm laughing because that part got to you so it did. much. I was crying. I was crying because my ex went through that, Taylor. He moved from the States to Canada because of, I mean, not that it was only happening in the States, but he was going from school to school to school to school because they kept calling him dirty because he, was, yeah. he wasn't fully white. He wasn't fully black. And yep. he just the the amount of um hate that he went through and now he's doing so much for the black community and I'm so proud of him. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> brain fart. <laughs> I know what you're saying, but yeah, no. I'm I just laugh because I think that's very sweet that that's the part that like gets to you the most and you're just like, "No." No, I was, uh, yeah, I was really triggered by that comment because I knew how much that comment triggered you mm-hmm. and triggered everyone else that's in my life that isn't fully black, yeah. isn't fully white, or is fully black, but has lighter skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, appreciate you commenting back to some of the people on my post trying to tell me I'm not black enough to talk about these things and appreciate you uh, using your platform. And I hope that this isn't a one time only situation. And I know we'll continue to have these conversations Mm -hmm. within our friendship, but also hopefully more publicly, just not at one thirty in the morning, your time. So yes. thanks yeah. for joining me. I need to go to bed and I, I need to allow Josh to come back into the room so that he can come and sleep. <laughs> Josh was very supportive of this recording happening though. He yes. was like, go get on. Oh yeah. And Josh is the one that got me in, in contact with the people from the Montreal North community. Like Josh is, I'm very yeah. lucky to have someone who's just fully supportive of, um, of all colors, all religions. 
Well, he's very like wants to advocate for all of the. I can't even say the sentence because you're adjusting your pad. What's happening here? I'm wearing a pad that literally goes from my belly button to the back of my ass crack. <laughs> so long. I love that us talking about your pad going up to your ass crack is going to be in the same episode as the fucking amazing Robin D'Angelo. Um, this is these are the two uh, the two, <laughs> the two ends of my life, right? Like. The contradiction, the reality. This is the the authenticity of it. Um, but yeah, Josh is a great. I'm very happy that you have him in your life. He advocates for like literally everyone, um, and I think he's definitely influenced you to speak up more about all those things, and also help to educate you on a bunch of different things too. Absolutely. So. Snap to Josh. Give him my love. And I, I love you. Thank you I for joining you. me. Thank you for having this discussion. Thank you for ha- for holding this discussion and for having it on your podcast um, and yeah. for allowing me to be a part of it. All right. Good night. Oh, I love you. Good night. Love you. You're too. probably wa- re- reading. I can't even. You're probably going to listen to this when it's morning, so it's very confusing for you, but it's almost 2 a.m. my time now. All right. Yeah. Josh is in the bedroom, so we're going to go to bed. But right. I love you. Good night. Love you. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right, and, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've shortened the time from harvest to home for our tasty tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. So no matter how you shop, you have more time with your fresh produce. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now, shop what you love and save $2 on each participating item when you buy three or more with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone.